How many are happy to be in the house of the Lord today? Can you say amen? amen. God is good, is he not? Yes. Tell you that Mickey is goofy, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, he's, he's good though. He's good. That, that boy good. So, so Dell, are you going to join a small group for that $500 cash prize? Because you, you, you would be the physical one thing's champion. I guarantee it. You would be our champion. <laughs> All right, good to see you. We're ready to take this to another level. As, as you've heard a thousand times today, we're in the midst of a one thing's process, which is a two-year process that covers eight essential areas of growth. Uh, and uh, the first was we spent three months talking about spiritual growth. And in the, in the months of September, October, and November, we're going to focus on physical health, physical health. Now, I'm in the midst of a three-part series in the month of September called The Body and the Bible. Today is part two of this three-part series, The Body and the Bible. If you missed last week's, I want you to pick up a copy of it at our website. You can just download it for free and listen to it online. We don't sell CDs anymore because we can just put it on the computer and you can download it for free. Listen to it on your smartphone, your iPad, or whatever, any MP3 device. The Body and the Bible, part two, is today's message. And the title of the message is The Instrument of the Soul. The instrument of the soul. Let's pray. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would speak to us by the power of your word. I pray your word would be clear. I pray that it would be life-changing and life-giving. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to draw your attention to a text of scripture in Genesis chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. This is in the midst of the story of Cain and Abel. The Lord comes to Cain and speaks this word to him. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. Look at your neighbor say, sin is crouching at your door. I, I just want you to get that image in your head. Just imagine right outside you, the front door of your house, there's this tiger that's just crouching. This crouching tiger. This hidden dragon. Right outside your door. Sin is crouching at your door, ready to pounce on you at any minute. Ready to devour you at any minute. It desires to have you, God says to Cain. It desires to own you. But you must rule over it. You must rule over it. Now let's look at the context of this passage and understand what's going on here. First of all, Cain is feeling rejected. At the moment God comes to Cain, Cain hasn't done anything yet. He hadn't done anything bad. But he's feeling rejected. And the reason that he's feeling rejected is that God accepted his brother's offering, but rejected his offering. And so Cain is feeling rejected because he cannot differentiate between God not liking what he has done and God not liking who he is. You see, sometimes God don't like what we do, but that doesn't mean he doesn't like us. And so Cain is feeling personally rejected by God because God doesn't like what he offered him. And he's processing that rejection in the form of anger. And God sees Cain going down this destructive path. 
He sees that what Cain, the way Cain is thinking and what Cain is allowing himself to feel is leading him down a path of destruction that's going to have dire consequences. And so God is trying to head him off at the pass. God says, I got to go visit Cain and I got to speak some truth into his life. I got to get inside his head and shift his thinking. I, I got to convince him to turn in his mind before he does something terrible. I've got to help Cain. Now, if God had actually rejected Cain, he wouldn't even have that conversation with him. He's coming to rescue Cain because he still loves him. But why was Cain angry? Well, his brother's offering was accepted and his was not. I mean, that's just the simple truth of the story. God said, Abel, I like that offering. Cain, I don't like that offering. Don't bring that stuff up in here anymore. And instead of asking God what he needed to do to to change, he opted to lash out at his brother in anger. I mean, imagine it. You're a student in a class, and your best friend is sitting next to you. And both of you take a test. And your best friend gets an A, 100% on the test, and you get a 30% F. You have two choices. You can go talk to the teacher and say, why did I get an F, and what do I have to do not to get another one? Or you can be mad at your best friend for getting a good grade on the test. Cain decided instead of coming to God, and this is what God was saying to him, don't you know if you do what's right, you'll be accepted. God was saying, I'm coming to tell you how to get accepted. Do you want to know? I'm telling you how to do it right so you don't have to go through this again. Do you want to know? And Cain's response, no, I just want to be mad at my brother. I'm angry right now. So here's the dilemma. The dilemma is this. Abel's offering was accepted by God. And acceptance is a pleasurable experience. Meaning in Abel's interaction with God, Abel was able to derive deep pleasure from his interactions with God. Why? Acceptance is a pleasurable experience, isn't it? I mean, when somebody accepts you, it's pleasurable. It is. My wife was sharing last night at the Ark about her last trip to Indonesia And she first talked about how pleased she was with every member of the team. I mean, she said everybody on the team went to another level. She said, I was so excited to see all of our sons and daughters moving with such power and authority and God using them in such great ways and speaking with such wisdom and insight and captives being set free. And she said, I was sitting on the plane on the way home and I was just rejoicing in the Lord and saying, oh God, I'm so pleased. And she said, and all of a sudden God came to me and he spoke to me and said, Chare soneseki. Which in Korean means, good job, my child. Good job, my child. I'm so pleased with you. And she said all of a sudden, the Lord was pouring into her life, and she began to receive from God all of the blessing and acceptance she was feeling for all of the members of the team and how she was overwhelmed with acceptance. You know, she shared that last night at the Ark, and after the service was over, I decided to take Alethea out on a little date. And so her and I went to Mr. Greenbubble in downtown Oakland. Can I get a witness? And uh, so we, and, and it's funny because we're driving to Mr. Greenbubble and, and we get there and it's like already 8.15 and we're driving around looking for a parking space and after 10 minutes we couldn't find one. We still couldn't find one. I said, baby, it's like 8.25. We got to go home. You got to go to bed. I'm sorry, but we can't get none. She goes, no, daddy, no, please, please. I want, please, please, don't do it, please. 
I said, well, you better pray and ask Jesus to give us a parking space. I'm going to go around this block one more time. And you better ask the Lord for a parking space. Because if we can't find a parking space after one more time, we're going home. And she starts weeping and going, Jesus, please. Please, Jesus. Jesus, please give us a parking space, Lord. Oh, God, I don't want to go home, Jesus. Please give us a parking space. And we came around the corner, and just then a guy pulled out of a space right next to Mr. Greenbubble. <laughs> and she started to rejoice in the Lord. She says, you answered my prayer. Thank you, Lord. She says that all the time. God answered my prayer. He always answers my prayer, you know? And so we go into Mr. Greenbubble, and, and we get our little, you know, green bubble and, <laughs> and she said she wanted spicy chicken so I ordered the chicken well I said she don't need to lose no weight but I do so I just ordered for her I did eat a few pieces but <laughs> we're driving home and I said you know baby I said I said Alethea your mommy and I we're so pleased with you she goes really I said yeah I said you make us so happy. She said, I do? I said, yeah. She said, why? I said, because you're so happy. I said, I just love the fact that you're so happy and joyful and, and, and you just make me happy. And she goes, I'm not always happy. <laughs> she said, sometimes I hurt you and mommy. And I said, yeah, you do. You do. I said, but that's only for a moment. I said, if you hurt mommy and daddy's feelings, it's just for a moment. But you're happy all the time, and we're pleased with you all the time. We have moments, and she goes, but you hurt my feelings too. <laughs> I said, I can't believe I'm having this conversation with a four-year-old. <laughs> and I said, I know, baby, we hurt each other's feelings from time to time, but that doesn't change the fact that we're just so pleased with you. We're, you make us so happy and she just smiled from ear to ear and she just started singing just started singing anything and she sang all the way home just singing nonsense she, she's a songwriter she makes up these nonsensical songs and just starts singing she'll sing about anything you know and the kitty and you know the pony and you know just start singing random stuff you know and she was so happy she sang all the way home the fact that she felt accepted by daddy and mommy that was a pleasurable experience acceptance good Amen? Yes. Cain's offering, on the other hand, was rejected by God, and rejection is a painful experience. How many would say it feels good to be rejected? No. Rejection is painful. Acceptance is pleasurable. Rejection is painful. You know what's funny? The whole world could love you, but if one person doesn't like you, it can mess up your whole world, can't it? I mean, it can, me I mean, it can fool with your... It can mess you. I mean, I'm talking about thousands of people around the world can think the world of you, and all it takes is for one person to write you a nasty note, and it could ruin your day. Because we just don't like to think that, I mean, how can you not like me? You know what I'm talking about? Don't you just feel that sometime? Like, you don't like me? Everybody likes me. How can you not like me? And I'll, I'll waste the whole day trying to figure out why you don't like me. Yeah. Acceptance is pleasurable. Rejection is painful. The whole story of Cain and Abel revolves around the experiences of pain and pleasure. Pain and pleasure. There's two basic drives 
that every human being lives with and must steward. The first drive is the drive to avoid pain. Pain, bad. Can I get a witness? And there, are, there is a certain type of disorder that causes people to like pain. But it is indeed a disorder. It is not good. Liking pain is not a good thing. There are some people, and that's physical. There's a physical disorder where people like hurting themselves physically. But there's also a, a, a kind of a, a mental or psychological disorder where you have to be abused. You have to put yourself in relationships with people you know will abuse you. you you're just not happy unless you're miserable. And that's a disorder. Because you're both happy and miserable at the same time. You're comfortable there. But there's a basic drive on the inside of us that says, let's stay as far away from pain as we possibly can. But then there's a second drive on the inside of us that says, and let's pursue pleasure. Pleasure, good. Pain, bad. Now, in stewarding these two drives, we must understand that there's a second set of drives on the inside of us as human beings. And those two drives are, first of all, the drive to avoid evil. Just like we want to avoid pain, we want to avoid evil. And secondly, the drive to pursue good. And that means that there's evil forms of pleasure and good forms of pleasure. And there's evil forms of pain and good forms of pain. And so when we put those two things together, we want to avoid evil pain and evil pleasure and pursue good pain, not pursue good pain, but pursue good pleasure and endure good pain. How's that? All right. Your body is an instrument. And your soul is the musician. Follow me. Your body is an instrument and your soul is is the musician, and your soul only knows how to play one song. The title of that song is Pleasure. But pain keeps interrupting the song. Your soul is trying to play a song on your body called Pleasure. But pain keeps interrupting the song. Now, when we're talking about pleasure, we've got to understand that there's two dimensions of pleasure. There's what we call a sensory dimension of pleasure and an affective dimension of pleasure. Affective, not effective. Affective. The sensory dimension of, of pleasure has to do with the experience of pleasure in the body. Sensory. The five senses. The affective dimension of pleasure has to do with the experience of pleasure in the mind and the emotions. The thing you need to understand about pleasure is that so much of what you think is a bodily pleasure actually is more about the mind and the emotions than the body. You with me? Let's take a case study. Let's think about this. When someone rubs your back, what do you feel? Lean forward, baby. Mm. Mm. Over here. What do you feel? What do you feel? Good. What kind of good? <laughs> from a sensory perspective that is from a, physio- from a physical perspective what you feel is a warm hand on your skin that creates either pleasant or unpleasant sensations not every back rub feels good you ever been to the massage therapist when they didn't use enough oil and it's like pulling your skin 
And don't you, you, you ever feel like you just can't tell, the, you can't say nothing to the massage therapist, you just gotta endure it? And so you just like, oh. you know? You're just kinda trying to deal with it, like, oh! And you think, oh, how, how long do I have to do When is this over? I gotta get out of here. You know, David O, who works our sound, I mean, works our, our media ministry, his brother Joe. So David was getting a chair massage one day. He's in that chair, you know, his face is in the thing, and the massage therapist is kneading on him and working on him. His brother Joe came up behind him and tapped the massage therapist and said, shh, I'll take over. And he comes up behind David and just starts slapping him in the back as hard as he goes, bam, bam, bam. And David is just, just taking it. He's thinking, I guess this is part of the massage. I guess this is good for me. I guess I just got to take this. So sometimes the way the massage therapist or, or your friend rubs your back, sometimes it feels good. It's a pleasant physical sensation. Sometimes it doesn't feel so good, depending upon the physical movements. But what do you feel effectively, that is, emotionally or mentally? When I rub your back, my wife says, Sometimes she'll tell me, I felt so loved when you rubbed my back last night. I felt loved. That's emotional. Your skin can't feel loved. Your muscles don't feel loved. You felt a warmth on your skin, but in your emotions, you felt loved. You felt cared for. You felt appreciated. You felt significant. And all of those are emotional experiences. And so often, the, emo the emotional component of, the, of that experience is greater than the physical component. Like you just feel so loved, but all it was was a little warmth on your skin. Your body didn't feel that good, but your heart, your emotions, your mind, it felt great. Now, let's take another example. If someone touches your leg, the person sitting next to you just reaches their hand down and puts their hand in, into your inner thigh. <laughs> you just reach in your purse and pull out that taser. <laughs> what do you feel? Well, once again, from a physical perspective, you feel a warm hand on your skin that creates either a pleasant or unpleasant sensation. But whether or not that sensation is pleasant or unpleasant depends upon what you think about the person touching your leg. Because if I'm sitting next to my wife and she puts her hand on my inner thigh, oh, that's a pleasant sensation. <laughs> but if I'm sitting next to Dale, <laughs> well, if someone touches your leg with their hand, you might feel flirted with, seduced, Turned on, turned off, violated, harassed, molested, etc. You might feel all of those things. But all of those, it's, it's the same sensation. A warm hand on your skin. But your mind interprets that warm hand on your skin and takes the data of that interpretation and communicates it to your emotions. And then your emotions feel something about that warm hand. So if it's my wife, my mind said, this is a good thing, my brother. And my heart says it is on when we get home. But if it's somebody else, 
regardless whether it's a man or a woman, my mind says, this ain't good. Get out of here now. Move that hand. Get that hand. Reach for taser. There's a body-soul connection. Pleasure is more affective than it is sensory. In other words, the pleasure derived from your body is primarily for the benefit of the soul, not the body. The same experience, a hand on your leg, for example, can either feel great or it can feel disgusting. And it depends upon what it does for your soul, not what it does for your body. The difference is the way you think about the person behind the hand. So pleasure is primarily in the mind. The body is only the delivery system. You following me? All right. So here's the problem. When the soul experiences pain, it puts a demand upon the body to provide it with more pleasure. When your soul is in pain, in agony, it says, I know how to fix this. Body, give me some more pleasure. The soul is constantly trying to bury pain under pleasure. I done lost my place. Thank you, Lord. The soul is constantly attempting to bury its pain under pleasure that it derives from the physical body. The problem is that the pleasure that the soul seeks in pain is typically evil pleasure. When the soul is in agony... It seeks for some type of a pleasure, and it's typically an evil pleasure. Think about this. You ever think about it? When you come home after a hard day at work, your boss came down on you hard for no reason. Two of your coworkers lied on you and tried to get you fired. And then at the end of the day, they announced that they're going to be laying off 3,000 people at your company within the next three months, and you're scared it might be you. And then you get a nasty text message from your husband mad about something. When you go home at night, do you walk in the door and think, man, I had such a tough day. I need to eat me a pile of vegetables. (laughs) Just had a hard day. Give me some cucumbers. I'm going to give me some cucumbers and some celery, and I'm going to drown out all of this emotional pain. Give me a big plate. Where's that cucumber? (laughs) Or do you think, Man, I'm going to eat me a whole half gallon of ice cream. (laughs) You say, but that's food. Food is for the body. The body needs food, right? I mean, the body needs food to survive, does it not? But it don't need tasty food. Your body don't need tasty food. Your soul does. Think about it. Think about it. We say food is for the body, but the kind of food that we crave is not the kind of food that nourishes the body. Often the kind of food that we crave will destroy the body. But we crave it. Why? Because the body wants it. Your body don't want that. Your body is screaming, stop. Quit it. You're killing us. And your soul is going, I don't care. I'm in pain and this makes me feel better. So shut up, body. You'll get what I take, what I give you. You'll take what I give you. You'll eat what I feed you. Now let's look at this passage of scripture again. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? 
Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Look at this. Cain was angry because he felt rejected. The thing you need to understand is that anger is always a secondary emotion, never a primary emotion. What does that mean? It means that you always feel anger in response to something else you're feeling. There's something underneath it. There's either pain or fear underneath anger. We feel pain, and we don't like feeling pain, and so we get angry at the person who's causing us pain. We feel fear, and we don't like feeling afraid, and so we get angry at the person who's causing us to fear. Cain felt rejected, and he processed that rejection in the form of anger. And when we feel emotional pain, such as rejection... We're tempted to stop doing what is right. The Lord says, Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Don't you know that if you do what is right, you'll be accepted? Why did the Lord have to say that to Cain? Because Cain was so hurt and so angry that he was tempted to quit doing what is right. How often have we used emotional pain as an excuse to stop doing what is right? I'm not sleeping with my husband anymore for three months. Why? Because he hurt me. He made me mad. Oh, she ain't going to give it to me? Then I'm not going to be rubbing her back anymore for three months. Why? Because she hurt me and she made me afraid. I'm not giving my tithe to that church anymore. Why not? Because somebody hurt me there. I'm going to stop doing what's right. Why? Because I'm hurt. I'm in pain. And as soon as we start feeling pain, we are tempted to stop doing what is right. Shoot, I don't care about this job anymore. If I get my job, if I get my work done, cool. If not, psh, they can kiss my, you know, grits. Yeah, there we go. Why? Don't you know it's right to do your job? Yeah, but they hurt me and they, they're not going to hurt me again. They're not going to hurt me again. I'm going to stop doing what's right. And oftentimes we're mad at somebody else so we do something to ourselves. Does that make sense? I became an alcoholic. Why? Because my wife was driving me crazy. So let's say you decided to poison yourself with alcohol because your wife was driving you crazy. (laughs) I heard a guy say, I got addicted to Valium. Why? Because the dog was barking at night and I couldn't sleep. So wait, wait. So you decided to poison your body because the dog keeps barking. You should have given that volume to the dog. (laughs) Shoot, before I poison my body, I'm going to make sure Snoopy is sleeping. (laughs) God saw Cain walking down this road and tried to head him at the pass, head him off at the pass. He said, Cain, sin is crouching at your door. Sin is crowd. Why? Because of where your mind is. Not where your body is, where your mind is. Sin is crouching at your door. Sin is ready to pounce on you. Why? Because you have not processed your rejection properly. The thing we need to understand is that every sin is rooted in some form of pain. You remember Peter's talk with Elimus the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8 in the city of Samaria? Mm -hmm. 
He came to Peter and offered him money that he might have the anointing so that when he lays hands on people, they receive the spirit. And Peter said, your money perish with you because you thought the gift of God could be bought with money. And then he said this, for I perceive that you've been poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. You know why he became a witch doctor? Because he was poisoned by bitterness sometime early on and didn't process that bitterness correctly. Somebody hurt him and he became bitter and that bitterness opened the door to him being bound by iniquity and that bondage to iniquity opened the door to him becoming demon-possessed and an emissary of demonic power. What did it start with? You just got hurt and you didn't handle it right. Sin is crouching at the door. It wants to own you. It wants to possess you, but you must rule over it. Look at your neighbor and say, you must rule over it. You know, for too long we have, we have, we have treated sin and tempta- temptation like gods to be feared. So afraid of it. You need to treat it like slaves to be flogged. You must rule over it. You must walk around. I got authority over this. I'm not under this every day. I'm on top of it. I got authority. It tries to get it. Get back down there under my feet. You know where you belong. You're not ruling over me. I'm not walking around afraid of you. You can't t- You are my slave. You better bow down. Come on, somebody. You got to go gangster on this stuff. But there's a context for sin. Sin happens when the soul uses the body as an escape from its pain. When the soul turns to the body in order to escape its pain, sin happens. Ruling over sin then is only possible if the soul finds another way of escape from its pain. When the soul depends upon the body in order to escape from its pain, that is what Paul calls the flesh or the carnal mind. When he says the carnal mind is death, but the spiritual mind is life and peace. The mind set on the things of the flesh. What does that mean? The mind that seeks the body as its primary source of satisfaction. If your life is oriented towards achieving satisfaction and fulfillment from things procured through the physical body, then your soul is playing a song on the body, but it's playing a song that's going to destroy the body and not heal it. Listen to this. Why did Cain kill his brother? Because it felt good. When the body acts out out of the pain of the soul, it feels good. Think about it. When you were mad at your wife or your husband and you started yelling at them, you ever lashed out at anybody? Hopefully you ain't killed nobody. <laughs> but you ever lashed out at anybody? It felt good, didn't it? Come on, you can be honest. At that time, you know, you know we don't have any secrets. My wife and I, we tell all of our business. You know, we told you about what happened to us in May or early June when I lashed out at my wife and I was screaming at her. I was in her face with my finger. And in my head I was saying, Benjamin, shut up. Don't say, don't shut up, shut up. But I couldn't stop myself. I was like, you will not tell me what we are going to do. I am the man. I am the man. I am in charge. I am the head of this household. And inside I'm thinking, shut up, shut up. But you know why I couldn't shut up? It felt good. 
Oh, that felt so good. Every word was delicious. Come on, tell the truth. You know, afterwards, I didn't mean that. No, at that time, you did. I mean, in that moment, you meant every word of it. You don't mean it now because you're not on crack anymore right now. You know what I'm talking about? You don't mean it now because you come down off that anger high. You don't mean it now because you ain't got that anger needle in your, in your arm. You know what I'm talking about? Anger is like a drug. You, you will find yourself in another state of consciousness. And after it's all over, you'll look and see the damage you've done. Say, what have I done? What have I done? Yeah, I found myself on my knees crying before my wife and baby. I'm sorry. I'm never going to do that again. Sorry. Sorry. I was wrong. It felt good. That's why it's called an evil pleasure. It felt good to do it. Even though you knew how destructive it was going to be. Think about this for a second. You know what I can't understand? It don't make no sense. Is adultery. Adultery don't make any sense, does it? Think about it. Think about it. Think about it. How many relationships are going to be destroyed if I do this? How devastated is my wife going to be if I do this? I mean, I'm risking my daughter growing up without a father if I do this, right? I mean, my parents are going to be devastated if I do this. Everybody who loves me is going to cry if I do, right? But at the same time, the second part of the truth is, there's not a one of us in this room who's completely incapable of doing it. Any one of us, you put us in the right situation, at the right, at the, at, we'll do it. You know why? When I tell my wife, I will never cheat on you. You know what that means? I will see to it that I will put the right roadblocks in my life to keep me from getting into that position. I'll make sure I'm not, I'm not going to tempt myself. Right? I'm not going to put myself in that place. Does that make sense? But that doesn't mean I'm immune to it. None of us are immune to it. But it doesn't make sense that we're not immune to it. I mean, if you think about it, why would we not be immune to it? It just don't make no sense to do that. Right? Why do we act like crazy? We find times where we're just crazy people. Where we do stuff that doesn't make any sense. I mean, think, now you think, think about this. Follow me. Follow me here. Because I'm not trying to put, bring any condemnation on nobody who's gone through stuff here in this room. Because there's restoration. But I'm saying we do this stuff on a daily basis. We do stuff that's destructive, that are subtle forms of suicide, long-term forms of suicide. If I say, I'm going to give you a pill, and you take it once a day, and you'll die in 20 years, would you take it? But yet the doctor says, if you keep eating this way, in 20 years, you're going to be dead. And what do we do? We keep eating. We take that pill every day. We're We're doing stuff that... This is the thing. Your soul, when it's in agony and it needs pleasure, it doesn't care what the effect is on the body. Your soul will kill your body. It doesn't care what the effect is on relationships. It will kill those who are precious to you. It will do stuff that will damage. It will destroy everybody around you, and it doesn't care. Why? When your soul is in pain, it could care less what that pain does to anyone else. It simply needs to be satisfied. Murder was an evil pleasure enjoyed by Cain as a means of soothing the pain of his rejected soul. 
He said, my soul needs something. God came to, him, came to give him a chance. Came to give him a chance to turn before it was too late. But he didn't take that chance. We're not here to weep for Cain. Cain dead. Well, what about you? Look at your neighbor and say, hello, Cain. Let me ask you this. In what way are you using your body to solve a problem in your soul? Let me tell you something. I am standing before you today, not, at one, not as one who is perfected in this realm, but one who is standing in the need of prayer. I went to the small group on Thursday night, and I told them I went to Kent and Lily's house. And I said, I'm not here as the pastor. I'm here as a brother. You know why? Because let me tell you something, folks. I'm just going to open up with you for a second. Is that okay? I'm good at fasting. I'm good at fasting. I can fast maybe like nobody you ever met. I'm good at it. I'm terrible after the fast is over. I might have lost 23 pounds in that 14-day fast, but the day it was over, I had a steak on one fork and a chicken on the other. <laughs> That's why the first thing I thought of with this physical one thing was, I'm going to go on a fast. The problem is the fast is over. I don't care how long it is, it's going to end. You know what I need? I need to learn how to say no to the devil that tries to get me to eat stuff that's going to kill me one day. I need people around me who will say, Pastor, put that cookie down. Put it down, Pastor. We need you around, Pastor. Come on, somebody. What about you, Cain? What about you? I told you I'm tired of being the only person in this church that opens up and tells all his problems. <laughs> a couple months ago, Pastor Aaron came in here and preached a message called Pinky Swear. She said, I was sitting in the back seat with Alethea, and she, we started telling each other secrets. And Alethea was telling me secrets about the ponies. <laughs> and every time we'd tell a little secret, we'd say, don't tell anybody. Pinky, pinky promise. Pinky promise. And we'd make a pinky promise. Never to tell anybody. She said, you know, telling secrets is a form of intimacy. And then she looked at us and said, some of you have been building intimacy with the devil. Because you got this whole world over here. And the devil says, don't tell nobody. And you go, pinky promise. And then at the end of that service, she had some of the leaders come stand up here. She said, it's time to break that pinky promise and tell somebody what's going on in your life. So I want you to come forward, stand in line, and, and tell these leaders. They're trusted leaders in this house. They're pastors in this house. They're not going to shame you. They're going to rebuild you. They're going to encourage you. They're going to restore you. Amen. You know what? Two people came up. <laughs> Two people. Two people. Everybody else, nobody else had any problems. Everybody else was perfect in every way. Two people. Come on, church. Come on, Cain. You need to get into your small group and open up and say, let me tell you 
about this place in my life where I've been trying to destroy myself. Somebody stop me. You ever watch Monk? The dude has an obsessive compulsive disorder. I was watching one episode. I've only watched a couple of episodes in my life. I don't watch the show. But in one episode, he walks into this place where they had these nuclear missiles. And two of them had the head screwed on, but the third one didn't. And his OCD kicked in. And he picked up that head and starts screwing it on. And they said, Monk, what are you doing? He goes, I don't know, but for the love of God, stop me! (laughs) Some of you every day are screwing the head on that nuclear missile that's going to destroy your life. And you need to say, somebody stop me! Today the word of the Lord is coming to restore your right to rule. Come on, you are seated in heavenly places with Christ, far above all power and principality and dominion and might, and over every name that is named. You were created to rule, not to be ruled. You were created for liberty and not for bondage. But your rule over sin begins when you turn to the Lord in your pain rather than to your body. See, you got to change your theology. Instead of seeing the body as the source of satisfaction for your pain, you got to begin to see the Lord as the source of satisfaction for your pain. David said it in Psalm chapter 16. He says, you will fill me with joy in your presence, with everlasting pleasures at your right hand. God created you for pleasure, but those pleasures begin from the right hand of God, not from your body. And even your physical body can begin to rejoice in the Lord. Yes, you receive pleasure from the body, but that pleasure has to begin with God, not with the body. The key question for today is, what is your primary source of pleasure? Is it your physical body? Or is it God? When you feel a need, what is your knee-jerk reaction? Do you go to the fridge? When you feel empty, do you run to the internet? Or do you run to the prayer closet? The body was made to enjoy pleasure. Don't get me wrong. Pleasure is a good thing. This ain't about asceticism. This isn't about, you know, get rid of all your physical possessions and be completely sexually abstinent. If you're married, you're supposed to be getting it on. Come on. Let me just lay that out. If you don't, there ain't no condemnation. No, because I'm serious. I got to say that because I've had some folks. Pastor, is this okay? Look, you, it's more than okay. It is necessary. If you're married and it ain't happening, you need to come see me. We got to talk. I'm just, I'm, hey, you're supposed to enjoy food. There's a misconception that eating healthy means you got to eat cardboard all the time. Your tongue was created with taste buds for a reason. God put every bud in its proper place. And he made food tasty for a reason. It's supposed to delight your body and your soul. But not at the expense of the health of the body. It's about priorities. Your body was created to rule over pleasure, not be ruled by it. Today, God has come to restore your rule. Your body's an instrument, and your soul is the musician. Your body's an instrument, and your soul is the musician. And your soul is comprised of the mind, the will, 
and the emotions. And your mind is the lead member of the soul. And your soul stands between the body and the spirit. And you got a choice. You can turn to the body in your time of need and seek satisfaction from the body. Or you can turn to the spirit of God. And that's what Paul calls the mind of the spirit. The mind of the spirit is when the mind turns to the spirit and says, I'm focusing my attention here. When the mind turns to the presence of God and says, Lord, it's me standing in the need of prayer. Lord, I'm coming before you because I'm hurting in this place and I don't know how to find healing. Lord, I'm coming to you because I feel empty, but I need to be satisfied. And I I know that you will fill me with joy in your presence, with everlasting pleasures at your right hand. God wants to restore your rule, and it begins today. Let's pray. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would speak. You would touch. Lord, there's some in this place that have been hurting for so long, broken for so long, crying out for so long, feeling empty for so long. But God, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would touch that you would heal, that you would restore. The psalmist said, you, O Lord, are a shield about me. You're my glory and the lifter of my head. The psalmist says, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul longs for God. And Lord, truly today, underneath every longing is a longing for God. And so many of us feel that we're longing for so many things. We feel a longing. Some, some of us here today, we lay awake at night feeling a longing, a longing, a longing. There's some single people here that you lay awake at night clutching a pillow, longing for a husband, longing for a wife, crying out in your heart, God, fulfill this longing. Some of you feel a longing for wealth and riches, for money. You feel a longing for acceptance from people, a longing for a better job, a longing for a better career, a longing, and all of those desires. There's nothing wrong with those desires. It's not about getting rid of those desires. God wants those things for you too. It's about contextualizing those desires. It's about bringing them into the proper order. That the longing in the night, the cry of your heart in the night would be, Lord, I need you. I want you. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul longs for you, O Lord. My soul longs for God, for the living God. When will I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food. The psalmist was in a time of deep emotional pain when he wrote that. But in the midst of his pain, he didn't say, I'm longing for the pleasures of this world. He says, I'm longing for God. I'm longing for the presence of God. I'm longing for the power of God. I'm longing for the love of God. I need you. I need you. I need you. I need you. I need you more. I need you more. I need you more. I need you more. It's you, oh Lord, I need. You're all that I need. You're all that I want. You're the only one who can satisfy the desires of my heart. He says, my tears have been my food day and night. While they continually say, where is your God? But in the midst of his longing, he knew how to encourage himself in the Lord. He said, why are you so cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I will yet trust him for the help of my countenance and my God. 
Why are you so cast down? That's what God said to Cain, isn't it? Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Why is your face downcast? The psalmist says, why are you so so cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Sometimes we got to question the state of our souls. I feel downcast. Why am I downcast? What am I believing that causes my soul to be downcast? What am I believing? Am I believing that I'm rejected by God like Cain believed? Am I believing that God has passed over my just cause? Isaiah said it in Isaiah chapter 40. He said, why do you say, O Israel, and why do you speak, O Jacob? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my just cause is passed over by my God. Have you not heard? Have you not seen? Has it not been told you from the beginning? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He gives strength to the weak and to those who have no might. He increases strength. He said, even young men shall fail and you shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and shall not faint. Why are you so cast down, O my soul? Have you stopped believing that your God will come? The prophet Isaiah said, say to those who are weary in heart, do not be afraid. For behold, the Lord your God, with a strong and mighty hand, he will come and save you. Behold, your God will come. Behold, your God will come. Why are you cast down? Don't you know he's coming to satisfy every desire? Don't you know he's coming to heal every place of brokenness? Don't you know he's coming to restore? The prophet Hosea cried out, Come, let us return to the Lord. For he has torn us, but he will heal us. For he has broken us, but he will bind up our wounds. On the third day, he will restore us. After three days, he will return to us. And he'll come to us like rain, like spring rain. I'm telling you, in the very place where your heart is hurting, in the very place where your heart is broken, your God will come. Your God will come. Your God will come. He will not abandon your soul to the grave, neither will he suffer his Holy One to see corruption. Just let your heart begin to rejoice. And that's where we begin to find even satisfaction in our physical bodies. David, the psalmist said it in Psalm 16. He said, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoices. My tongue also will be glad. My body also will rest in hope. Because you will not abandon my soul to the grave. Neither will you suffer your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. With everlasting pleasures at your right hand. He's coming. He's coming. Behold, he comes, riding on the clouds, shining like the stars at the trumpet sound. Lift your voice. It's the year of jubilee. For out of Zion's hill, salvation comes. He is coming. He is coming. He is coming. He is coming. I I preach the good news to you today. Your God will come. He is coming. He's coming to satisfy. He's coming to heal. He's coming to restore. He's coming to redeem. He's coming to return. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. coming. Hallelujah. Stand up on your feet right now. Just lift your hands and begin to worship him right now. Just begin to worship him. Just begin to worship him. Yes, Lord. Come on, open your mouth and just begin to worship him. Speak your own words to the Lord. Yes, Lord. We glorify. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. God, just begin to heal the brokenness of every broken heart right now. The scripture says you heal the brokenhearted and you bind up their wounds. You heal the brokenhearted. The scripture says you are close to the brokenhearted and you save such as trust in you. Some trust in chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. The scripture says your delight is not in the legs of a man nor in the strength of a horse. Your delight is not in the strength of a horse nor in the legs of a man. Hallelujah. He's coming. I just speak the blessing of the Lord over you right now in the name of Jesus. I speak blessing over the broken places in your heart. And I say the great physician is coming right now. He's coming into the space of your heart, into the holy of holies of your being. He's coming into that place right now. And he's coming to touch. He's coming to heal. He's coming to restore. Do not be afraid. Rejoice greatly, O virgin daughter of Zion. Do not be afraid. For behold, your king is coming. But he's coming gently. He's coming. He's coming humbly. And riding on a donkey. He's coming. He's coming in right now. The great physician. The great physician has come. The great physician has come. He's come to touch that place in your heart. Nothing else will satisfy that place but him. Nothing else. Your joy is not circumstantial. It has nothing to do with your situation. It has everything to do with the presence of the great physician. And he's here. He's here right now. Oh, hallelujah. God, I rejoice right now. Because healing is happening right now. Deliverance is happening right now. Breakthrough is happening right now. Freedom is happening right now. Liberty is happening right now. It's happening right now. It's happening right now. Even the physical body is being set free. The physical body is being set free. I said food addictions are breaking right now in the name of Jesus. Even drug addictions are breaking right now. Sexual addictions are breaking right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's breaking, it's breaking, it's breaking, it's breaking, it's breaking, it's breaking. In Jesus' name, I command it to go right now. I command it to leave your life right now. You are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. You are a child of the King of Kings. It has no place in your life. You are victorious and not defeated. You are the head and not the tail. I bless you with the blessings of the Lord today. Hallelujah. And Father, I give you all the praise for it. I thank you, God, that what you're doing is so awesome. We receive your word today. Thank you that your word comes to us like life from the dead. It's the word of God and not the word of a man that sets us free. We love you. We give you all the praise in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen.